Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, July 31st, 2022, we conclude our four-part series titled Share. Today's sermon, Strategies for Sharing Your Faith, will be taught to us by Pastor Ed Lutz. Enjoy. I'm the kind of person who you would not expect to see starting this conversation, generally speaking, especially out in public. Um, In the corporate life, which I did for the last 15 years, it was kind of frowned upon to talk about Jesus particularly, but retired from that world and started up my my new business in October. So now I see new people every single week and I get to go in their homes and I pray about every job before I do it. Things go well, let's make this a good day. It's more that I'm working for the Lord if this person happens to be the one who's writing the check. But So that changes your perspective on how you approach things. I've gone back to this, this one particular customer, like I said, she was Jewish, and she has some fantastic artwork and, and trinkets and whatnot from Israel. She's been there a few times. And each time we, I work there, we talk a little bit deeper. And it's interesting to hear her perspective. She's not attacking. I'm not attacking. We're just discussing. There's an obvious breakdown in our beliefs um, when it comes to Jesus. But it's, it's very interesting to hear her perspective and then she allows me to share my perspective as well. So I would encourage everyone to just take a little bit of leap of faith. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be a big step. Start small like I do. It's just conversation. Make a comment about church or somehow relate what you're doing to your beliefs. You know, why you can't be there at a certain time. Well, I have Bible study or I don't work on Sundays. I have church. And it's not preaching from a soapbox. It's not arguing. It's just sharing you know, my story, little snippets here and there, and then get the conversation started. You know, our mission here is to love God and love people. And when we realize the love that God has for us and what he has done, man, that's got to compel us to just love people. And as we just have casual conversations, just like Matt just shared today, we can tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that's non-intimidating, that's natural, and it's just a part of how we communicate. So that was such a blessing and such an encouragement. I hope that encouraged you as well. Like Brendan said, we are in Acts chapter 17, actually. Acts chapter 17, so go ahead and turn there on your your phone or in your Bible. There's one in front of you. If you didn't bring one, look in the chair, the seat back in front of you. And we are going to look at the Apostle Paul. Now, now we think of the Apostle Paul, professional missionary. So, of course, this guy's going to be gifted and and adept at sharing the gospel in any circumstance. But I think you're going to find some super practical principles today. The title of the message is is simply Strategies to Sharing Our Faith. We are ending our four-week series on share. We've talked about why we need to share What are some of the obstacles or hindrances? A lot of those are spiritual. Some of those are internal. You know, we just kind of wrestle with how to do it. And last week, boy, Doug did a tremendous job, didn't he? Just tell your story. Tell your story of what Jesus has done in your life. And so today is kind of, well, how do you start? How do you begin those conversations? Let me give you your main idea. If you picked up a, an outline out front at Info Central, you have that, or you don't, it's on your Highlands app. But here's our main idea for today. We need to begin conversations with people around us and then look for the Lord to open opportunities to share. 
We just need to start. We just need to begin conversing with people. And, and those are the people that we see really on an everyday basis. On, in, throughout the week, we might see the same people multiple times a week. Just begin conversations. Then pray for the Lord to open up a door where you can make a bridge to the gospel. That's our main idea for today. Let me ask God's blessing, and then we'll jump in in Acts chapter 17. Heavenly Father, we do desire that. We know the, the mandate by Jesus himself is to go into all the world and make disciples. We do desire to do that. Um, but for many of us, if we were honest, that sounds intimidating. Hopefully it's getting a little more easy to digest over the last few weeks. But as we wrap up this series today, Father, I just pray that you can give us one or two or three super practical principles that we can start even tomorrow. As we, we do, Lord, we desire to share the good news of Jesus. So may tonight be helpful. We pray in Jesus' name. The church said, amen. Amen. Well, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to walk through Acts chapter 17, just the last half of the chapter. There's a lot more that we could cover, and this could be, you know, a two or three week message, but really what we're doing is we're just kind of taking a big picture overview, and we're going to try to pull some principles or some strategies from the Apostle Paul. How did he share his faith? And what are some of those things that we can do? So we are starting in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Let me give you a little bit of the context. Paul is on a missionary journey. He's just come from Thessalonica, and he's just come from Berea. He's been run out of town. Some of the people in those, those areas didn't like the message of Jesus, so they've run him out of town. And his companions have had him go on to Athens. And so we, we see the Apostle Paul in Athens in chapter 16, and he's waiting for his friends to arrive. Follow along with me as we read here. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, speaking of Silas and Timothy, you see that in the preceding verse, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he's looking out on the city, and it says his spirit was provoked. That's really starts to get agitated. The storm in his heart is starting to brew. Now, it's not that he's, he despises the city residents, but remember when Pastor Joe taught and he talked about this concept of spiritual warfare and, and that our enemy is not flesh and blood, it's a force of darkness. You see, Athens is, is just consumed with idolatry and it grieves Paul and he loves these people. So the first thing we see here, and we'll talk about each one of these, you get a sense that he sees these people as God sees them. These folks are lost. They're blinded. So what does he do? Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, which is usually where he goes first when he goes to a city. He's Jewish and he loves to share the gospel there. And then devout men and the devout persons. And then he goes into the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So he sees that these people are lost. That's the, the first thing we notice. And then what does he do? He's going to take the time to be intentional. I need to go where the people are. I need to spend my day being among the people of Athens. And he goes every single day. 
Whoever happens to be there. Now, some of these people I'm sure he sees day after day. Maybe he goes for a week and, and there, there's that same shopkeeper. Oh, there's that person with the goats. Some of these people he may just have a one-off and it's the first time and the only time he sees them. But he's with the people. Now look at verse 18. Now, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? That's an insult, by the way. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's obviously talking about Jesus because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. There's the gospel. So he is giving them the gospel. You think, well, what does that look like? If you go to, to the third verse of this chapter, it says he's talking about Jesus and the fact that Jesus came and he had to die and he suffered and he was buried and he resurrected. That's the gospel presentation for Paul, just like he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses three and four, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's always his message. And I love what it said. He reasons with people. He converses with people. A couple different words there. But in both of those terms, there's this idea of this back and forth. He's having conversations. They're asking him questions. He's asking them questions. There's some debate. There's this interchange, this back and forth conversation. And I'm sure he's asking them some questions and they're asking him. Just natural conversation. Now look at verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So they take him to the Areopagus. Now, that's a couple different options there. We believe that's a council of people where you would go, the learned council, but we also know that there is this rock some 300 feet above the city of Athens, which is often referred to as the Areopagus. So they bring him to this place, whether it's a rock or before the council, and he's just teaching about Jesus. And anybody who is a guest lecturer would come and they'd invite him to speak or invite this person to speak and they would ask questions. What happens here? God opens the door. So he sees the people, right? This is how God sees them. They're sinners. They need Jesus. He tries to be intentional, goes to where the people are at, spends time in the marketplace. Next, he just starts to have conversations with people. And then what does the Lord do? The Lord opens a door. And does Paul say no? <laughs> no, when God opens a door, you got to walk through it, folks. Verse 22, so Paul Standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are religious. Gives them a little bit of a compliment. It's nice to try to win them over a little bit. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. Oh man, what's he doing? He's trying to show some dignity and some respect, acknowledges that they're religious. But he also finds something that they have in common. Oh, you worship God? I worship God. Can I tell you the difference? So he finds a little bit of common ground here. 
Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, that's Adam, by the way, back in Genesis, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And look what he says, in him we live and move and have our being. And even as some of your own poets have said, another connection point here, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, Paul says, We ought not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of imagination of man. No God who is made out of rock can make people like this, made out of flesh. That's kind of his point here. And here's the gospel. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Here's the message of sin. You need to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by rising or raising this man from the dead. There's the resurrection. Paul is passionate. But you see what he did here? God opens the door. Paul steps into it, and he tries to find these connection points in his presentation. Now, does everybody get saved? Last couple verses, verse 32. Now, when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him. (laughs) Have you ever tried to share Jesus with somebody and they just kind of dismissed you? But others said, hey, we will hear you again about this maybe tomorrow. Some people say, hey, we want to hear more. That's a win, folks. If you can have a conversation with somebody and they want to hear more about it later, chalk that up. That's a win. Conversation's not over. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. There's a lot there, and we went through that really fast, but I don't know if you noticed, but as we went through, I tried to give you the points of our outline. So that's the text from which we want to define those principles. I don't want you to think we just made these up. I believe these are biblical principles, strategies, from the master missionary himself. And so what I'd love to do now in our time that's remaining is let's walk through each one of these and let's make some application. So your first point, we need to see God, uh, see people as God sees them. See people as God sees them. Folks, the world is dark. People are lost. People need Jesus. You know that, right? (laughs) I hope so. Jesus, that was his mission. Jesus did not come for those who are in need of a physician, Matthew 9 says, but those who are sick. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was all about loving and reaching out to sinners. And we have a wonderful example in Luke chapter 7. There's a woman who comes to Jesus, and she's at his feet, 
And she's just so remorseful over her sin that she's in the presence of Jesus himself and she senses his love for her and and his holiness and she just starts weeping so much so that the tears are rolling off her face and they're they're landing on his feet. She's washing Jesus' feet and there's a religious leader there who's just trying to dismiss her and Jesus says, this woman, her sins are forgiven for she loved much. Be he who is forgiven little loves little. I think that's the key verse. How do you get a burden for the lost? How do you get a burden to tell people about Jesus? I think it starts there when we recognize how much God has done for us and the forgiveness that we have. Man, when we realize how much we are forgiven, it would compel us to give that message to other people. Sometimes I think maybe the reason we don't share is we don't really realize that. We don't dwell on the significance of that. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In Luke chapter 19, obviously the Jews rejected him. And we know at the end of this chapter, Jesus looks out on the city of Jerusalem, just like the Apostle Paul. And when he sees those who are lost, he weeps for the city. See, he sees people in their true condition, in need of a savior. Jesus comes in John chapter four. I'm just giving you a a quick shot of some verses here. But in John chapter four, Jesus goes through the the area of Samaria and he comes across a woman. Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other, but Jesus goes right through enemy territory, makes a beeline, has an encounter with a woman at the well. His disciples are thinking, what in the world is Jesus, one, talking to a woman, Two, talking to a Samaritan woman. Talk about a double whammy. They don't say it out loud, of course, but Jesus knows what they're thinking. And in the process of having this conversation, this woman comes to believe in Jesus. A Samaritan, an enemy of the Jews, if you will, comes to faith in Jesus, and then Jesus has his disciples look out, and he says these words, look, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are ripe for the harvest Yes, even this area that you despise, they need the gospel. They're white for harvest. And to prove his point, he stays two more days. Do you have a heart for those who need the gospel? Can I encourage you? Maybe the first thing we need to do is let's just pray for him. Let me give you an application point here. I encourage you, you know, you may be thinking, I have people in my neighborhood, people in my workplace, people I see, I I see the same cashier every time I go to the grocery store, the same teller when I go to the bank. Maybe you know them by name, on a first name basis. Why don't you make a list of four to five people and say, I'm going to commit to pray for these four or five people every single day for two weeks. Pray for them. Ask God to work in their heart. Ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to share. Let's start there. Who are the people that God has put in your path? And begin to pray for them. Besides prayer, can I give you an extra strategic step? Second point in our outline, take the time to be intentional. Start to be more intentional with the encounters that you have. Can I tell you my story? Five years ago, (laughs) um, I was asked if I would teach an apologetics class. So I'm preparing and I'm working on my materials. How do you, how do you tell non-Christians 
about Jesus? How do you defend the faith when these people ask you all these really, really tough questions? And in the middle of my preparation, I probably got halfway through and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to stand up in front of a couple hundred people, talk about sharing your faith and defending your faith with all these non-believers. And I thought, I don't even do that. (laughs) I never spent enough time, hardly any time around non-Christians. I'm at church all day during the week. I'm in Bible studies in the morning, discipling guys. I'm I'm in small groups in the evening. I thought, how am I going to talk about relating to non-Christians when I don't even do it? And I remember making this statement to Pastor Bob. It was kind of a foolish statement, and it's not true. I said, Bob, man, I got to be a church less so I can do more ministry. <laughs> now, that obviously is not accurate, but what I really was saying is, of course I'm around non-Christians all the time, but I don't take the time to be intentional. Let me show you my calendar. This is kind of what it looked like. And so what I would encourage you to do is if you were to look at your calendar and do a Monday through a Sunday through Saturday and say, okay, here's my morning routine, here's my, my, my time of work, here's my lunch routine, here's my afternoon, my evening, map it out. What does it look like? And then looking at that calendar, you can say, okay, where are the opportunities? They're, they're probably already embedded into that somehow. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, well, I, I go to my grandkids' games. You know, I, I go to my grandkids' games for the next 12 weeks. I'm around the same set of parents and grandparents for the next 12 weeks. Might be an opportunity to just get to know some of those people, right? But what I was doing, I was just kind of making excuses for not being intentional. So I, I tell you, something had to change. Something had to change. Some things had to go. Some things I had to add to my schedule. Some things I just needed to be much more intentional. And let me, let me issue just a, an acknowledgement here. I'm not telling you what you need to do or add. Your life may be crazy. You may be in a season right now where you just can't add one more thing on your plate. I get it. I'm not here to beat you over the head. For me, this is just my story. You know, you know your rhythm of life. You know where God has you. But is there opportunity within your rhythm without adding anything new to at least pray for people? Or if you're in a a group and and you see a regular group of people on a somewhat consistent basis, could you start praying for the Lord to open up conversations that would be gospel-centered? Here's how we changed. Can I share how we changed? I gotta eat. We eat dinner every night. I'm not gonna add anything new, but I realized how about once a month Susie, my wife, let's start inviting a different neighbor to our house once a month for dinner. We've lived on this cul-de-sac for 20 years. I've known the people across the street for 10 years. They've never been in my house. (laughs) Shame on me. And we took turns inviting people, just having them for dinner, getting to know them. I have a fire pit. In the wintertime, I sit out there four or five times a night, my wife, a week, my wife's like, why are you out there fire pit by yourself? You're supposed to do it with friends. I don't know. <laughs> I like being by the fire pit. So once a month, we started a thing called Fire and Friends. One Friday night a month, let's invite our neighbors or cul-de-sac, some people over. Let's, if I'm going to have a fire pit, I might as well invite non-Christians to it. See, it's not adding. It's just kind of being more intentional with the time that we have. Tuesday night, I do trash talk. That's a cool thing. 
I decided, you know what, all the guys in our cul-de-sac, every Tuesday night we have to take our garbage out to the curb. I said, hey, why don't we all decide to take our garbage out to the curb at 7 o'clock and bring a camping chair, and we'll just sit in the middle of the cul-de-sac and talk for an hour. We call it trash talk. Tuesday night trash talk. Everybody in that group has told all their friends about trash talk. Now, some of those conversations get pretty interesting, but I can tell you over time and over weeks and over months, those conversations start to deepen, start to become much more substantive. Again, those are things that are just part of my rhythm. I thought, let's just try to make time to be more intentional. We went from being neighbors to actually becoming friends. And I can't tell you what God has done. I've done a funeral for people in our cul-de-sac now. I've, I've done rededication of marriage vows. God has just opened up some opportunities and it just started by being intentional and extending an invitation to just hang out and be with people. I encourage you, think about a calendar. Start looking at some of your time. Another strategy and this one is going to maybe rub some people, so I, can I apologize in advance? Stop talking. <laughs> in other words, the third point, ask questions of people. When you engage in conversation, start to ask questions. When we ask questions of people, it builds a sense of genuine sincerity. I want them to know that I care about them. James tells us that we need to be quick to hear and slow to what? Speak. Have you ever entered into a conversation with somebody and they ask you something about your day or something that happened in your life and you tell them and you're thinking, oh man, they really care about me. And what's the response? What comes back? It's a launching pad for them to tell you something about them. And then 10 minutes later, they're still talking about them. Now, I know they mean well, and they're trying to encourage me, and we're trying to relate to each other, but what started off as a question to find out what was going on in your life somehow gets flipped, and it seems to be all about them. And so here's my rule. If I enter into a conversation, I'm going to ask somebody an initial question. I'll try to ask three questions in a row before I come back with a reply of my own. <laughs> That's just kind of how I am. Because, see, questions, here's what I love about just getting to know people and asking questions. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says that the, the man's heart is deep. The purpose of a man's heart is deep, but a person of understanding can draw him out. Isn't that beautiful? It can draw him out. So if I take an interest in somebody and I start to probe a little bit, maybe it starts off as a casual conversation and then the next question gets a little deeper, next question gets a little deeper, they start to open up and I'm starting to hear some things that maybe I didn't expect. See, if you're patient and you ask and you really take a genuine interest, God will open a door for you. Can I show you what this looks like? Now here's, here's the deal. Uh, Doug mentioned this book last week, chapter three of this book, Defending the Faith. This is the book that I wrote after we did the apologetics workshop. I, I just, um, when you do all that, it's just might as well just put it in a binder. So we, we wrote that for the folks who came to that. And chapter three is all about how to start a conversation. And, and here's what I, people have said, what are you gonna speak about tonight? And I, and I gotta be honest, I feel like right now at this point, 
I feel like I'm going to do a workshop, and I wish we could sit around tables, and we can practice some back and forth, and we could do some role playing, and how to have a conversation, because that's how this book is kind of written, and you can practice going back and forth and asking questions and asking follow-up questions. But let me try to give you a couple examples. You might have this conversation with somebody and you're just, you're talking about relationships. So you might ask the question, hey, I got a fun question for you. What would you say are the most important relationships in your life? They tell you. What do you do? Oh, man, that's good. Let me tell you about mine. But I, but I, no. Don't do that. Hold off. Pause. Don't be so quick to jump in. Why don't you ask a follow-up question? You might ask a, a question like this. Um, can I ask you, what qualities do you look for in a relationship? Oh, that's really good. Oh, well, that's good. I got one. Are there any things that could destroy a relationship, maybe? They give you a couple of those. Or what if you talk about your family? Hey, tell me a little bit about your family. Where'd you grow up? Tell me about your parents. That's a pretty lighthearted, casual question. That's a good opening. Oh, I'm from Ohio. Me too. No, don't do that. Ask a follow-up question. Oh, really? Man, what do you love most about your childhood? What did you love growing up in Ohio? Hey, did you grow up? Did you go to church as a family growing up? See what we're trying to do here? We're just trying to ask some follow-up questions, try to draw them out a little bit. How about hobbies or activities? Hey, what do you like to do for fun? Do you have a hobby that you enjoy? That's a nice, easy, opening question for a conversation starter. Follow-up question could look like, are there any other things that you like to do for fun? Or what else gives you joy or a sense of fulfillment? Can you see how these questions start to kind of go a little deeper? Now, let me just tell you, as we were talking about this in the sermon prep, a couple of guys said, you got to be careful. This isn't a formula. This isn't mechanical, and it is so right. Again, what is the purpose of these questions? Where's the motivation come? Why would you start a conversation in the first place? Because you care about them. They need the Lord. You truly love them. And if you really love them, you want to pursue a relationship with them, start to think about things that you could pull out of them. This isn't meant to be mechanical. This is meant to be sincere and genuine and authentic. So that's what these do. When the Apostle Paul was walking to the Areopagus, do you remember what he saw? He saw some idols and he said, hey, there's, there, you, I see you're religious. I'm religious. Hey, I see you've got a, an altar to an unknown God. I know God. Even one of your poets said this. You know what he's doing there as he's having these conversations? There's this theory called common ground. There's this concept called common ground. So as you're asking people these questions and you're trying to get responses from them, here's the key. Listen. Listen. The reason we're asking questions of people is we want to listen. And they might say something that you could latch on to. It's like, oh, I, you know, I, we've got that in common. A common ground question is something that they say that's significant that you share with them, and that might be something that you could bridge to the gospel. Let me show you one here. When you talk about these life questions, remember the question, hey, if you could do a reset in your life, what would it look like? A common ground, a bridge-building question could be, 
oh, man, I totally relate to that. You know, I've made some mistakes in my life. But can I tell you about a decision that I made that changed my life forever? Or relationships here. What relationship would you say is most important in your life? And they tell you about their relationships, the one that went good, the one that went bad, and a common ground sentence might be something like, you know, I agree with almost everything that you said. You are right on. We're seeing eye to eye on that one. You're sharing that. Now, but I think there's a key to fixing a broken relationship, and I think that's forgiveness. See the bridge? And you think, oh, man, Ned, this is tough. <laughs> you really expect me to walk out and do this? Well, I, it starts with what? See people as God sees them. Love them. Know that they need Christ. Being intentional. And then just start asking people about themselves. Let them share and start to listen. And as they say something, something's going to trigger in your mind that you have in common there. And that might be an introduction to sharing the gospel. Now, once you share your story, are they going to come to faith in Jesus? I don't know. What we saw happen with Paul? Some mocked him. You may get shut off. You may have a conversation with somebody and they start to feel a little uncomfortable and you're reading that. Maybe, maybe the practice is over and it's time to go. But you know what? You might see him next week. So... Until they shut you down, the door is still open for a next opportunity. Some people might have the opportunity right there to share faith and they come to faith in Jesus. Now, again, we don't know how long every one of us has, so some of us, I think the context determines that, right? If you're in an airport and you're getting ready to get on the plane in an hour, you may never ever see that person again. Sometimes you might be able to take some of these conversations and move deeper quicker. Can I just tell you, my cul-de-sac this kind of stuff has happened over weeks and weeks and months. So the Lord has opened doors for us to the point where my cul-de-sac neighbor, who's not a believer, asked me if I would start a Bible study. <laughs> now, I started trash talk. You know why? Because I wanted to do that. But when a non-Christian says, hey, Ed, would you start a Bible study for us? Guess what? That's like somebody asking Paul, Paul, can you go to the Areopagus and tell us about your God? When God opens that door, you got to walk through it. And then you just trust him for the results. How's that for a fire hose? <laughs> you got an idea or two, a prayer list, a calendar assignment? Maybe just, man, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to make sure I listen more than I talk. And if, and if you're really intrigued by this, you know, chapter three of this book, read chapter three of The Friend, sit down across from each other and practice some role playing and learning how to steer a conversation towards the gospel. But it's time to start. It's time to start. See people as God sees them. Take the time to be intentional. And generally take an interest in people. Start asking them some questions and hear where they're at. See if you can pull them out. And then when God opens a door, whether it's through a common ground, something you guys share that's similar, walk through that door and trust the Lord as you tell your faith story. 
And remember, you can't make Christians. You can just share the message. That's where we have to trust God for the results. Well, we have an opportunity even now to proclaim the gospel as we celebrate communion. So if you need the elements, and as the worship team comes back, and raise your hand, we'll, we'll get these to you. Or, um, thank you, keep those up. Jesus came to save. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that he offers forgiveness. And on the night before he was to go to Calvary, he gathered his disciples and he took them through what we're about to do and have a last supper. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 summarizes that for us. So let me read what Paul really commands the church to do. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's give thanks. Father, thank you so much for the precious gift of Jesus. He came to those who couldn't save themselves. He was able to see people as they really were, including us. Father, we are sinners saved only by grace. And each of us in this room are surrounded on a daily basis by those we know who need the saving grace and forgiveness of Jesus. So as we proclaim his death on our behalf even tonight, the Great Commission tells us that we now need to take that message of salvation into a lost world. And I just pray, Father, that as you put people whether their names or faces on our minds, that we would commit to pray for them every day. And that you would open up a door. And then that you would give us the courage just to, to start a conversation and to listen. And that you would allow us to take a genuine interest in wanting to hear where people are at. And that you would allow us to find something that we can link on to and find in common that would be a bridge to the gospel that we could tell our story. But it only takes practice. So Father, would you allow us to step out in faith? We're all in process, but we know that you are with us. Your Holy Spirit abides. He empowers us. And we just need to trust you for the work that you're gonna do in the lives of people. 
as we open up our mouths and begin to share. Thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we are forgiven much. We need to love much. We need to let those folks that the Lord puts in our path, we need to let them know about the gospel. The passage that started our series is this. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? By the way, you are now sent. (laughs) And how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It is good news, and people need to hear, hear it. I pray this week that the Lord would give you a burden for those around you, that you would start to lift people up in prayer. You would be intentional and really start to build relationships and enter into conversations that convey genuine sincerity and love for people. And as you learn more of their story, that God will open a door for you to share your faith story. Will you do that this week? And now be the love of God, the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you this week. God bless you. Thanks for coming.